1: Hi everyone, welcome back to the BT Powerhouse podcast. My name is Thomas Bendit. I am the manager of SB Nation's BT Powerhouse uh, for Big Ten basketball, and it is Friday, October 30th, um, night before Halloween. Uh, a lot of a lot of random nice or nicknames for today, I should say, uh, that I'm I'm not going to get into, but uh, but yeah, excited to chat some Big Ten hoops. We're we're getting close. We're we're 2 weeks away from college basketball and I I'm excited. I know fans are excited and I'm sure the players are absolutely thrilled to to be on the home stretch here for, you know, games and exhibitions and you know, real action on the court. <laughs> but a really exciting topic today, um at least for me, and that is the Michigan Wolverines, uh the season preview. For Michigan, one of the most intriguing teams in the conference this year, and personally, I think they may be the biggest wild card in college basketball. Uh, period. Um, just had an underwhelming year last year, but a lot of talent and really injuries and youth uh, derailed what should have been a pretty good year overall uh, for the team. But but nonetheless, they onward to this season, and Michigan has some high hopes and to help break down those hopes and this team we have joshua stern who's one of our writers here at bt powerhouse josh how's it going
0: it's pretty good i uh i was i was dressed up for halloween last night i had my uh my german uh, Oktoberfest fest leader hoping <laughs> on uh a little a little more Wagner shout out so uh in case you didn't know i'm uh i'm very very excited for the season to get going
1: nice nice yeah that's uh Pretty impressive. I, I don't know if I have a I have a costume this year. I'm kinda lame. I uh um I'm expecting just uh to, to spend Saturday night watching uh conveniently Michigan's football team play. So uh I'm not sure if I'm gonna go out but uh but yeah, yeah, nonetheless. Um on to college basketball here and, and a very interesting team. Um obviously a disappointing year last year but looking for better results this year. Josh, what what are your general thoughts? coming into the season for Michigan?
0: Um, I think you and I have talked about this before, not on the podcast, obviously, but I feel like a ton of people continue to sleep on Michigan. They look at the 16-16 record from last year, and they say that the majority of the team is back, uh, everyone essentially minus Bielfeld. Um, But I think that people don't realize that LeVer was hurt for so many games and Derek Walton was hurt, and, and the freshmen were kind of thrust into roles that they weren't supposed to be in uh, pretty early on. And so I think it's kind of unfair because Michigan never had all of their pieces together at the same time um, for an extended period. And so I think that, you know, between shooting and, and all of these different pieces that John Beilein has, I think this team could be really, really, really good.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and you know, obviously this is a, a preview prediction for this year, but this is a team that I, I do think merits some discussion into last year. And And the thing about it is, Depending on when you look at this team, you're going to get a completely different impression of how good Michigan was, how good you know they can be this year. Um, you know they start out the year not great, but you know they beat a Oregon team that goes to the NCAA tournament. They beat Syracuse at home. They nearly knock off Villanova,
0: who yeah. ends up
1: being the number Should they one. Should have seed. probably won that game too? Yeah, yeah. I mean they were up later on and just kind of let it slip away. And then yep. um, really, really one of the key, key things for me is after then uh, Michigan's point guard, Derek Walton gets, uh, I believe it was toe, but, you know, and so, mm-hmm. a foot injury and he never looks the same, you know, for the rest of the year. And um, not to say his injury alone prevented Michigan from being a great team, but it kind of, the timing kind of <laughs> fits in, you know, they lose to NJIC sure. in a terrible terrible loss at home. They lose Eastern Michigan blown out by Arizona SMU. And kind of from there, the, the whole season goes down. Um, but near the end, the team actually kind of came around and played very well, uh, late in the year, um, which kind of implies that, uh, you know, maybe this team was better than they performed early on. And especially considering those injuries. Um, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, but yeah, that that was last year and why don't we why don't we jump into this year though? Uh as you mentioned, Michigan brings back a lot and one of those players who I just talked about, uh Derek Walton, um what what are you expecting out of the backcourt this year for Michigan?
0: Um so in uh in in the reviews, you know, that I've been uh writing so far of, of Michigan's backcourt, I mean that's pretty much the core four. You have your two seniors in Terrace LeVert who in my mind is one of the best 10 or 15 players in the entire country. You have Spike Albrecht, the other senior, who a lot of people coming into Michigan thought that he was just kind of going to be an afterthought. And he's turned into a really, really solid backup point guard. He doesn't turn the ball over. He makes good passes. He's, his three-pointer has gotten better every year. So you have those two guys. And then you have Derek Walton, who will be starting next to LaVert. Um, like you said, I mean, you could clearly tell last season that his turf toe was bothering him. Um, he's quick, he's explosive. Um, you know, he's, uh, you know, you, you've seen him make some great clutch plays like uh, against Nebraska uh, two seasons ago when they won on the road. Um, and that was as a freshman and he's only got better. Um, and then of course you have Zach Urban, um, who's kind of going to be, maybe he'll play shooting guard. Maybe he'll play small forward. It just kind of depends on what B-line wants to do. Um, he's, when, uh, when Levert and Walton were out last year, it was tremendous. He, uh, he had to take a lot more shots, um, but his shooting percentage was still, uh, was still pretty good despite having to take a, a substantial amount of shots. Um, and then you have some of the younger guys. You have someone like Aubrey Dawkins, who D-line in the coaching staff has said uh, is arguably the most improved player. And you look at someone like him and he's six, and he's kind of got that Glenn Robinson 3rd makeup but he's an unbelievable shooter and he's a great athlete. He's one of those guys that, you know, when, when he's playing, you, you really want to just watch him and see what he's going to do next. And then the wild card for me is probably, uh, Muhammad Ali, um, like Dawson last season, he was kind of thrust into that role late in the year. Uh, he performed really, really well. Uh, he's a very, uh, downstream point guard. What I mean is like, you know, he, he's not a, a great shooter, but he's really good at attacking the basket and drawing fouls. Even early on in the season, he was really, really good at doing that. Um, the question is, is, is he going to find any minutes in the backcourt? I mean, I just named six guys that could all play substantial minutes. Where, where are the minutes going to come from? Mark might get left out of the shuffle. We'll see. But, I mean, those six guys, I think I think NBC Sports had Michigan as the, uh, the fifth-best backcourt in the country. And, I mean, those six guys alone are – really, really good players
1: Yeah, I I'm completely in agreement. And and just as a preface before before I kind of jump into this, uh Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman. just for ease, uh I call him Mar. Um Yeah, a
0: little I don't, easier that I don't,
1: way. Yeah, yeah. Um it, it just just for those who aren't as familiar with it with his name and sure. the abbreviation there. But um but yeah I mean this backcourt last coming into last year, I thought it was going to be the best backcourt in the Big Ten. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it would have been even if they were healthy, but they would have been up there. I don't think there's any debating that. And now, you know, and that was with Levert and Walton starting uh, at shooting guard and point guard, respectively. And now, you know, each of them, they're coming off injury, they're coming back. But you're also adding experience uh, with Marr, who really... You know, when he when he originally committed, I think he was like a two- to three-star, you know, not a very high regard, highly regarded
0: recruit. I, and, B-Line, uh, B-Line only took him because he got a referral from a coach in, in late signing, and they said, this is the kid you want on your team. And B-Line really wasn't tracking him at all, picked him up late, and what a great signing he was.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, no – you know, when we were coming into last year, we were kind of expecting – Michigan was either going to be one, two, or three, somewhere in the top part of the Big Ten in the backcourt. And nobody Mm -hmm. even thought about Marr. I mean, they were thinking of him as maybe a bench, you know, five to ten minutes a game. He ends up having to play a lot. He almost plays half of Michigan's minutes last year because Levert goes out, because um, Walton goes out. So now you're adding him into the mix on the bench. And then you also have Spike Albrecht, who, you know, as you said, uh, You know, I I think there are kind of some misconceptions about Spike. You know, generally, I think Michigan fans are very high on him, sometimes too high, I think. But I think think a lot of opposing fans don't understand his value. He is an outstanding backup point guard. I think he is a great, great backup point guard. But when he has to play 30 minutes a game, he has flaws in his game. I mean, he's 5'10". He's not crazy athletic. You know, he's not going to really get to the hoop at all and finish. But when you're playing off the bench, that's great. I mean, he can shoot threes. He can pass. He doesn't turn it over. He makes smart decisions. So, I mean, him going back into that backup point guard role, I think is great news for Michigan. Yeah. Um, Walton, Walden has the athleticism. He can finish at the rim. Lavert. I mean, I don't, I don't, you don't even really need to talk about Lavert. I mean, he's, <laughs> if he, if he's healthy, I mean, he's going to be exceptional. I mean, he's, he has the highest ceiling, honestly, maybe of any non-freshman in the Big Ten this year, and i i don't wow. even I don't even think I'm exaggerating saying that. Like in all honesty,
0: I mean, there's
1: I'm a right, reason why. I'm 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 my, oh, my go only, ahead.
0: My only counterpoint would be I I could potentially see Aubrey Dawkins having an even higher ceiling, just in terms of you know Levert, you know the full package, you know he can pass, shoot, all of these things, and Dawkins showed flashes of things. If he can put all of them together for extended stretches, I think his ceiling from where he is now to where he could be is potentially even higher than Levert's.
1: See, I I do think Dawkins has a very high ceiling if he develops into it, you know, obviously. But the thing with Levert is I never felt like he even hit his ceiling, even during the, what would that be, the 13, 14 year. And I know, again, yeah. uh, your random person, that's going to kind of sound insane. He was second team all Big Ten, but – you're talking about a guy who's six seven, and he was a year younger than his class. Um, that's something yeah. a lot of people don't talk about. He's actually pretty young for being a senior. Um, you're talking I about think a he six just
0: seven guy. 21. Go ahead. Yeah, no, yeah, I, think, I, mean, I think so I'm yeah, I'm twenty two, and I think Levert is a full. I'm a senior, and Levert is yeah, August twenty fifth, ninety four. So he's a full year younger than the majority of the senior class.
1: Yeah. So essentially, he's a junior right now, and he was essentially a sophomore last. In terms of yep. raw age, but um, mm-hmm. he—I mean—you're talking about a guy who's an excellent passer. He can score inside. He can shoot. He, he can rebound. And most importantly, like the the most underrated thing I think about Levert is uh, everyone talks about his offensive game, but when he's on defensively, he is great. Um, yeah. Now, now whether he's on for the whole game is a different issue. Uh, you know he's. Last season, and especially the the year before, I did think he had periods where he wasn't totally on defensively. But but when he is on, I mean, his length is suffocating. He can de- play and defend multiple positions. Like, uh, yeah, I'm I'm probably going on too long about Levert here. But my my
0: no, the my one big the one really interesting <laughs> thing ahead. that you're saying about about Levert though, um, maybe the reason that he wasn't able to exert his full defensive capabilities is because he had so much responsibility on offense and with all of these players developing and actually becoming legitimate offensive weapons, Levert's not going to have to shoulder as much of the load and he'll be able to focus more of his responsibility on defense too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things I actually got a chance to talk to Lavert uh, during Michigan's media day. And I was asking him kind of, you know, what's the difference because, you know, as, as fans remember last year early on in Michigan, it was basically, Hand the ball to Levert and hope he can kind of save the team.
0: <laughs> um, it was the Levert show, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. He was he was the guy, he was the team. And I kind of asked him, you know, like when he went down last year, guys like Aubrey Dawkins, Mar, Irvin had to step up. And I asked him, you know, like what's it like now that you're kind of entering back in, you know, after being gone? And he's like, oh, it's totally sure. different, you know. Guys, they know what to do now, and I and I think you're going to see not a more passive role, but a more efficient role.
0: For yeah, I like. Yeah, I think you're
1: totally right. Yeah, and I think that's going to add up, and I think people are going to start to see more of his his potential. You know, there there is the injury concern, um, obviously, but uh, you know, just in general, I don't think it's going to be significant this year. I think he will be ready to go. Um, when I was at their practice, he looked he looked good. Um, I didn't see any hesitation, but uh, but yeah, yeah. I guess that, nonetheless, after this, you know. 15 minute ramble. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I think Michigan has a really good backcourt. Lavert is obviously the key piece. Um, Walton coming back is huge spike going back into his role. I think is great for the team. Um, and I, I think this is going to be one of the best backcourts in the entire country this year. Uh, if all goes yeah. right. But, um, but with that, why don't we move out to the wing? I know you've talked about a couple of the, what I'm kind of figuring out the wing guys, uh, this year, but, uh,
0: how do you see things going on the wing this year? Sure. So uh I'll I'll let you talk about the the guys that you put more in the wing category and I'll focus on uh, a couple other guys. So uh so the biggest uh I guess uh question mark but also like potentially great addition is uh is Duncan Robinson. Um, you know, reports out of practice is that you know the kid can just shoot the lights out. Um but I think you were telling me that Robinson kind of is a little bit iffy on defense, which I think makes sense. I mean, the guys that you're guarding in D3 are not nearly the same caliber of guys that you're guarding D1. If you can score, you can score. The basket's the same, the court size the same. That's not any different. But defense and being able to play at the speed of Division One basketball compared to D3 is going to be completely different for Robinson. I like him in a. 15- or 20-minute game role as the kind of guy where defenses have to really make sure that they're always on him, especially if you have Revert and Irvin and Dawkins and a big guy on the court. You know that everyone else on the court is a threat. And if someone cheats off and Robinson's open, the kid's going to shoot it. and, and it, From what it sounds like, the kid's going to make it. So I really like the addition of Robinson. Um, and then you have Cam Chapman. And I know Michigan fans were extremely disappointed with Chapman's play last year, and that's totally reasonable because Chapman was, was really disappointing. He uh, he came in as the most highly touted Michigan recruit. He was the 38th best recruit in the country, according to ESPN, and he never really lived up to it. Um, I mean, his numbers were 3.6 points and 2.5 rebounds, and he went from a starter role to pretty much a, uh, a guy that they needed to use uh, in a bind, even when Levert and Walton went out. And that should really tell you something about how Chapman played. Um, and then the one guy that I know that you and I are a little bit unsure about where his future is, is uh, is Moritz Wagner. Um, he's 6'10". He, he's got a great shooting touch. Is B-Line going to use him as more of a wing? Is b going to use him as a big man? It's really unclear as to where that's going right now. But kind of like Robinson, you know, the kid has immense offensive talent and unlimited game. He's got great size. Is he going to be able to adjust to, you know, A, to living and moving to America and and figuring out college life after living in Germany his whole life, and B, to the physicality of the Big Ten? Uh, In Europe, I know that the play is is a little bit more perimeter-oriented. There's a lot more uh, shooting from big men and not as much rugged physical play. So, is Wagner going to be able to handle himself or is this maybe a year where he needs to bulk up and, and learn, you know, the rigors of big 10 and then maybe he's ready next year. So those are the three guys I'm really interested in seeing. Um, the other, the other wing is, uh, is Brent Hibbit. Uh I don't really think you're going to see much out of Hibbs this year. I think he was a preferred walk-on, uh, Bealine likes him as a as a bench guy, but I don't expect to see much. But uh, but the other three guys, I'm really excited to see what they're going to bring to the team this year.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I at least me personally, I I kind of see Dawkins and Irvin more as wings in this type sure. of uh, in Bealine's system and how I expect the the roster to kind of unfold. But um, you know, not to not to just restate your points you made earlier about him, but you know, Dawkins, excellent shooter. Um, his, uh, he has really improved his athleticism. Um, I, I think he is going to take that next step this year. Now, how much of a step that'll be, uh, I'm not sure about, he needs to get better defensively, um, things like that, but he could be a, a really nice piece on that perimeter. And Zach Irvin, uh, really, really didn't get him enough uh discussion late last year you know and and I get that because Michigan wasn't a great team so I kind of get why he didn't get the discussion but down the stretch he played very very well and and the thing was is overall I thought his offensive game was generally how it was you know it didn't really change that much in terms of scoring but his passing was great his rebounding improved and it was really those small yeah. parts of the game that really elevated his status, in my opinion. Um, behind him, yeah, Duncan Robinson, uh, from everything we hear and from just watching him in shooting drills, excellent shooter. Um, I'm I'm going to hold off. I know everyone's talking, comparing him to Nick Stauskas. I'll hold off just no, because, you know. Not
0: yet. Nick, not yet. Yeah, Nick Stauskas
1: <laughs> is – I have never seen a better three-point shooter than Nick Stauskas. I, you know – I don't care. I mean, if you watch him during warmups, as I'm sure you remember. Crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, he missed, like, one. <laughs> like, it was just <laughs> awesome. And uh, yeah. I'm not willing to put Duncan Robinson there yet.
0: But from, from all I mean, accounts, there's, there's a reason Nick is in the NBA. And Nick Saskis is an NBA shooter. That's what he's there for. So <laughs> Robinson's not there yet.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, um, but, yeah, Robinson, the one thing I will say, though, I mean,
0: uh, when
1: I did kind of get to watch Michigan going through their practice, you know, obviously they're not running, you know, full in game situations, but, um, in some of the half court stuff that they were running, I saw, I, I wasn't exactly convinced he's going to hold up great defensively. Now, I don't think that's going to be a major issue if he's coming off the bench, which I expect, but, um, it is something to keep an eye on. I do wonder if Michigan will kind of put in some of their better front court defenders to kind of make up for it when he's out there. Hmm. But, um, you know, we'll have to see. You know, and and something not to get too off track. You know, with the new shot clock, I'm kind of expecting Michigan to use more zone
0: as they did last year. But sure, yeah, I was going to say the one the one three one would almost be a really good thing for uh, for Robinson, so he's not getting exposed as much.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think if you can hide him a little on defense, it'll be great. Because I mean, again, you're talking about an elite level shooter to bring off the bench, right? You know, Allegedly. Allegedly. Again, we haven't seen him at a game yet. But, uh, but yeah, he, obviously he's a kind of a wild card to watch. And then um, Cameron Chapman, yeah, a uh, really high expectations last year. There's no really way around it, you know, as you said. Kind of disappointed. Um, I do think – I think he still fits into kind of that Glenn Robinson, the third role. I, I just think the issue was I didn't think he was physically ready to get into that role. Uh, you know, gr freak, yeah. he came in, I mean – with an NBA body from day one. Yeah. And I yep. think I think a lot of people overlooked how difficult it is to play stretch four well on both sides of the floor, um, as a freshman. But um but yeah,
0: yeah. Have, you seen, is guy. have you seen Chapman's body yet, yeah, by the way, this year? It looked like there he kinda had a little bit of baby fat at the end of last year and he kinda had to shed that. Have you seen what he looks like at the start of the season?
1: I haven't really had a chance to, to be honest. Um I'm expecting from just general Michigan strength and conditioning. I'm kind of expecting him to be in better shape. Um I think he sure. needed to build some some size and some physicality. But uh but but again, you know, we're talking about a guy who's probably gonna play off on off the bench, um, which is right. kind of just a luxury here. Um but uh but yeah, Michigan's wing group, I think it's gonna ride with Dawkins and Urban. Um I don't think that's a, a crazy opinion to have by any means.
0: And no. uh
1: <laughs> You know, I I think are I think it's in good hands to be honest. I think both of those players showed a lot of potential and should be set for uh for even better years this year. Um, but but with that, why don't we move into the the last segment here, the front court? Um, what are kind of your thoughts on how this is going to shake out this year?
0: Sure. So you know, so I wrote about last year how the position was Mark Donalds to lose, and then. Um, you know, about halfway through the year, the position went to Ricky Doyle. And then toward the end of the year, it went to Beal So, you know, it wasn't one of those positions where it was one guy's and beeline rode him throughout the entire year. and wasn't willing to change this year. I think it's, uh, it's Ricky Doyle's position to lose. Um, from what, what I've heard, he's bulked up even more. Uh, he's continued to develop uh, a touch inside. Um, he's a good defender. Uh, the one big issue with Doyle that I wrote, uh, in my front court preview is that Doyle had uh nineteen games in which he had three rebounds or less. Which is really an alarming statistics for your six nine center. Um, you know, there were games where Doyle was hurt or was sick and, and that's understandable. Mm-hmm. But really if you're six nine and you're and you're at the starting center, you gotta grab a rebound. I mean it's I know Derek Walton and Levert and guys like that do a lot of the rebounding and throw this more boxing out, but um but that has to change. Um, behind him, I think, uh, line will probably go with Mark, Mark Denal. Um, I mean, Denal is a, is a classic Beeline, uh, stretch center. He can shoot the three. He helps space the floor. Um, he's got a really, really good touch. Um, what you were saying from, from the practice that you saw was that Denal looks like he's, he's bulked up more, which is huge because what happened was he just wasn't physically ready uh, to play in the big Ten last year, you know he had all the offensive capabilities, but when that wasn 't clicking and he couldn't really battle defensively he was he was almost a liability on the court so you that 's why you didn't really see so many minutes uh, down the stretch and then the one wild card again, uh, I feel like each group we've got we've got a wild card to kind of see what happens is uh is d j wilson uh Wilson spoke up to two hundred and fifty pounds he uh he played he played um Played in five games last season, um, but he, he had a knee injury, and he just wasn't ready, and so b decided to redshirt him, which was definitely the right decision. Um, what I wrote was that DJ Wilson is such a luxury if he can pan out because he has the the shooting touch. He's not as good of a shooter as uh, Donnell, but he's a really good shooter, and he has the physicality like Doyle, and he's a really, really good athlete. And he's, he's long. He's, he's a very good defender. So he has a little bit of what Donald brings, a little bit of what Doyle brings, and he adds something else. So I hope that maybe we see him for 15 or 20 minutes a game because he's a freshman. Because he registered, he, he will only be a freshman. Um, and maybe get his feet wet. And he could be one of those guys, almost like Mitch McGarry. You remember how, how McGarry was brought along pretty slowly at the beginning and then at the end of the year he just exploded and had one of those crazy NCAA tournaments, and and it was almost like Belin was bringing him along, and then unleashed him when he was finally ready. I don't think Wilson is going to have that type of production, but you know Wilson is a better athlete than McGarry, um, and he's one of those guys that hopefully could really surprise down the stretch.
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely, um, you know, I agree with your first point. This is this is definitely Doyle's position to lose. Um, Just as a a first, a preface, I do think Michigan's going to play small. Um, You know, I think it's going to be Walton, Levert, uh, Dawkins, and Irvin grabbing those uh, back four spots. Um, So I think there's only going to be one true big man on the floor uh, for, you know, 95% of minutes. But um, uh, with that, I, I think it's Doyle's position to lose. And really I think he is the most important guy in terms of, how much is he going to improve this year? Because um, really Michigan's, you know, those last four starters, they're all semi-proven. I know a couple guys are coming off injury, but Dawkins, Irvin, Levert, and Walton have all shown they can play very at a high yep. level. You know, Doyle has not. You know, he's shown it for bursts, but he hasn't shown it on an in-game basis. And, and, I mean, to an extent, he was just a freshman last year. You know, big men usually come on a little bit slower, but he's going to have to show, you know, um I didn't know that rebounding stat but obviously that's a telling one and he wasn't exactly the best at avoiding fouls either which could no. which was a big issue last year with Michigan's uh depth issues um shouldn't be as big of an issue this year but obviously you know fouls are never good things <laughs> um, so uh I think it's his position to lose uh yeah you know as you mentioned uh Danell Looked gigantic at media day and intimidated me, uh, significantly, but um, (laughs) (laughs) he, uh, yeah, he looks big. Um, I didn't really get a chance to see him much on the court, but he's definitely bigger and more physical than he was last year, which was a big thing. I think that held him back, uh, last season. Um, and then the last one, DJ Wilson, uh, I should say the second to last one for me, um, Wilson, I actually wrote this uh for another site but Wilson is a complete wild card for Michigan. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we, we definitely we, agree there. Yeah, I know we've talked about, you know, Chapman maybe being are maybe being wild cards, but Wilson is by far the biggest. I mean, yeah. I I do I will say, you know, you know, Frank, I think he's a year away from being a good player. I really believe that. You know, maybe he'll come on at the end of the year as you as you said, um we'll have to see. But um You know, his combination of athleticism, length, and the ability to actually, you know, kind of create his own shot. You know, he's not going to have to rely on pick and rolls and that kind of stuff offensively. They actually probably, he can make some moves. Um, And when you throw that in with a guy who can defend on the perimeter, can defend inside, um, you're talking about a dynamic big man that at least at the college level, again, at the college level, that can really make an incredible impact. I mean, if DJ Wilson comes on as Michigan fans are certainly hoping this is a top 10 team easily. Um, now having said that again, I think he's a year away from being a a big contributor, but, um, he's going to be a guy to keep your eye on, you know, as the season continues and develops and, uh, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, the last one. There, uh, Maurice,
0: we'll, oh, wait, oh, go one ahead. Question on Wilson. Is there a chance maybe that you see Wilson in spot minutes playing the four against teams? I think I wrote in my preview, you know, a team like Purdue where you have somebody like Caleb Swannigan and either A.J. Hammonds or Isaac Hoff, where they're two true big men, would that be a place where maybe Wilson could... Step in and and even for ten or fifteen minutes a game, but just slide to the four as another big body to guard a true power forward.
1: That's that's an interesting uh, thought. I mean, I and that's one of the general themes that I don't think we've talked about that much. But this team is incredibly deep. Um, yeah. I don't nec- I don't. Again, I don't want to. I, I think there's a there's an important distinction you have to make. Is you know, deep does not always mean great. You know, that's, that's true. That's an important. That's you know because. You know, a lot of people criticized, um, you know, like Fad Mata for playing a short bench in the past and things like that. But he played a short bench because he had, like, Jared Sollinger and De- Deshaun Thomas. I mean, why would you ever play any front over those guys, you know? <laughs> but So it, it doesn't always mean great. But this team is crazy deep. They have multiple guys at every position, and almost all of them have played before, which is just Crazy. Um but yeah I think uh I could see them putting Wilson out there for extended periods to kind of get a, a matchup uh, against certain teams and you know he would he would be really good in a zone I think uh as he he didn't really no he didn't really play uh I don't remember them using the zone much in the exhibitions but that he played in last year but uh yeah he would be an interesting uh kind of guy to throw out there in certain scenarios um the only concern I would have is just I think Michigan might be too deep. <laughs> yeah, that was going <laughs> to be my follow-up
0: question, actually. Um, yeah. Do you think yeah, that, do you think that okay. maybe that B-line uh, will try, maybe play 10 or 11 guys at the start of the season and then look to a shorter bench? Or do you think it's one of those things where maybe he uh, he will actually play 10 guys depending on the game, depending on the situation?
1: You know, that's, that's going to be a very interesting thing to watch. Um, and I, I don't want to say, I don't know, but uh, um, you know, the thing B Beeline has said, he normally likes like a seven person bench or so. I think he was saying seven or eight. And he says, he thinks he's going to add one more to that rotation just because there's so many guys this year. Um, right. and, and the thing is, is like some of the players that I think you would normally red shirt in this type of scenario you really can't. I mean, D.J. Wilson already redshirted last year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mar, Mar is actually, he's the opposite of LaBert, where he's actually kind of old for his year. So yeah. he's not really a great option to redshirt either. So, I mean, I I do think you're going to see them kind of try to figure out how some of these roles shake out early on against some of the, the easier competition. I just, mm-hmm. um, I had a, uh, again, I don't want to get too off topic here, but I was doing I was doing our, pur- our Purdue preview earlier this week, and I was talking to uh, Travis Miller from Hammer and Rails, and he was saying one of the things that Painter said he kind of regretted early on last year was using too deep of a lineup and not, you know, kind of narrowing it down earlier. And he kind of sort of said that. He thinks that's one of the reasons they lost to, like, North Florida at home and – uh Forget a Gardner Webb. That was the other one. You know, got those terrible home upsets, and uh, I'm hoping Michigan doesn't have the same thing happen. But uh, right, you know, as they're kind of messing around with these lineups. But um, yeah, it's yeah. gonna be that. That's the tale of this whole season for Michigan is how, yeah. when, and who they figure out to play. Um, but before we move on, I did want to oh, just spend I'll one just second, one quick,
0: one quick crazy thing. Oh, go so Levert is actually 6 days older. Levert's a senior and Mar is a sophomore and he's only 6 days older than Mar. So we're okay. talking about someone that's really really old for their class and Levert somebody really young for their class. So like like you said, you can't redshirt Mar like that would be crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's just he's just uh, you know, I I'm talking about college kids here, so I feel weird saying he's too old, but but he's but he's too old to redshirt. That's just the honest right. truth. And, and, you're you know, right, you're right, you're right. And, and considering some of Michigan's scholarship crunches they're going to have coming up in the next couple of years, which I don't want to get into on this podcast, but uh, it's just not a realistic option. Um, but, but with that aside, there is one player I wanted to touch on for a second before we move on. And that's Maurice Wagner. Uh, he's the yeah. only, well, he's the only traditional incoming scholarship player. Uh, Hibbets was a preferred walk on, I, I believe, he was in discussion to get a scholarship for the season maybe um but wagner uh i i was kind of expecting him to come in get a red shirt just due to the team's depth all the options and I am, i'm i'm kind of hesitating on that to be honest at this point i i got to see him uh in some of the practice and also i mean the team and Beeline are just raving you know? uh his, um he's just the attitude that he brings to the practice every day and his skill set is really, really nice. Um, he just has a completely natural shot. Um, he can move, he can defend outside. Um, he, he definitely is going to be small if he wants to play at the five this year. Uh, I think he's going to be too small, but I do think, you know, if Michigan starts picking up steam and they're looking for that extra boost, in Big Ten play or NCAA tournament play, I could see them pulling his red shirt, kind of uh, as they did with Karis LeVert a couple of years ago and putting him in
0: there. Um, but, you know, again, I, I... think he's a red I, shirt. You, you don't or you do? No, I don't. I think I think, um, I think think he could be a really good backup four. Um, we were talking about maybe Wilson in that spot, but having somebody like Wagner who's bigger, who can shoot it, um, like you said, he's been really impressive. Um, the thing with Wagner is because he's coming from Germany, he played on a professional youth team uh, for the last couple of years. So as opposed to these other guys that, you know, are coming from uh, high school basketball, he's coming from professional basketball. He, uh, he pretty he had a no-nonsense team. I mean, he played for the youth His Albert Berlin youth team was the youth team of one of the best teams in Europe. Um, I don't see how you can redshirt him. I feel like everything that you were saying makes him such a luxury off the bench. You know, maybe Duncan Robinson doesn't pan out, or maybe Cam Chapman doesn't pan out, and you need a bigger guy to sub in for Dawkins or for Irvin. I would throw Wagner in there. I think, he, I think he'll play at the beginning. I think, like you said, because the coaches love him. he It just makes sense to give him minutes and say, go, try, because his skill set is so unique. So that's, that's my personal take on it. Um, but we'll see what they decide to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, um, and they even
1: asked Beeline about it, you know, at his, his media day press conference, and he was kind of just like, "Well, you know, we're not sure yet." Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think it's one of those things, you know, where like he definitely, I think, offers skills that can be useful now, you know, immediately. Yeah. But at the same, but at the same time, you know, is it enough of a boost to justify not getting his redshirt senior year? Um, because again, you know. His biggest weakness, you know, if you once you once fans get a chance to see him, it's clearly his size. I mean, he needs he needs more lower body strength, he needs just more bulk, you know, especially playing down low. And if Michigan wants to play big, uh, you know, like a la Purdue or someone like that, but um, but he's definitely a guy, you know, I wouldn't be just I wouldn't be shocked at all, you know, if he just starts playing from the get go and and doesn't redshirt. But um, I do think it's a it's going to be a close call. But uh but with that, you know, um I normally in this section talk about the recruits, but honestly we there's a, there's only really two recruits to even talk about. Um I guess three if you if you count Duncan Robinson the transfer. Um do you wanna take a second to just rattle through the recruits here, uh, for the people who don't follow recruiting as much?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um so we talked about Wagner. Um and I think you and I are both very high on him, but I, I think you make a really good point. It's is he going to play right away? Is Beeline going to trust him, or is this maybe a year where they start him slow and potentially use a redshirt on him? Um, the only thing, just a quick point back to uh, to the Wagner thing, is does, I mean I don't know whether it makes sense to redshirt him because you're talking then about a front court next year. I, I'm totally going on a tangent. Just just wanted to say, but you're talking about <laughs> a front court of Doyle, Wilson, Denal. Moritz Wagner, and then you're bringing in two centers in John Pesky and Austin Davis. So you're going to have an extremely full front court with six guys that are all pretty much trying to play one or one-and-a-half positions. I think they have to let him play because if they don't let him play, I mean, my personal opinion is one or possibly two of those six guys will not be on Michigan's roster next year because you can't have six good to pretty good centers and four or five of them are sitting on the bench. I mean, that's
1: crazy.
0: So, personally, I think they are going to let him play simply because of that, because of numbers, and b going to have to figure out who's going to stay and who's going to go. Um, we talked about Robinson, too. Um, you know, there's, there's a ton of hype surrounding him with his shooting. I mean, he was great at Williams, but... Again, we don't know. We don't know how he defends. We don't really know how he rebounds. Is he too slow? Um, shooting, right? He's going to get shot if he plays, but we don't really know how much. Um, and then Hibbett, I don't know a ton on Brent Hibbett. I watched a little bit of tape, and I initially thought he was more of a a big man, but he's actually more of a wing. He can shoot it a little bit. Um, I don't know whether he's going to be able to contribute. It's definitely not this year at the high major D1 level. I know that he had offers from, I think, schools in, uh, in the Patriot League and uh, in schools that are, are low D1. Look, maybe Hibbs is one of those guys, but not this year. But maybe next year has an unbelievable off season and, uh, and strength and conditioning and bulks up and develops a great shot. And, we're, and next year we're saying, man, Hibbs kind of came out of nowhere. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm expecting very little, especially because we were talking about how deep Michigan is. But, uh, but yeah, but I think uh, Wagner and Robinson, funny that the two guys that are kind of both coming in are arguably Michigan's two biggest wild cards along with D.J. Wilson for this year.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, um, you know, I've I've already kind of talked about Wagner for a while. Um, Hibbett's just a couple notes on him. He's out of the west side of Michigan. Um, definitely a uh, – a wing. Um, I don't think he's going to play at all this year and, and barring, you know, a crazy, uh, injury fest, you know, that Michigan had last year. Um, right. Right. But, uh, um, yeah, he's, he's a good guy. He's, he's athletic. He's lengthy. He can, he can run with it. Um, but, uh, I think he's going to register. I think he could be a nice, uh, a nice piece, you know, as he kind of gets up there and, you know, junior, senior, he had a lot of Mac attention, uh, a lot of those schools were recruiting him, but uh, but yeah, and then the the last one, Duncan Robinson, as we talked about, some defensive question marks, but uh, you know, by all accounts, a great shooter. So uh, Michigan, uh, not adding a ton this year, but considering the depth and returners, and you know, it's still a young team. So um, yeah, super young. Yeah, so it, it's not surprising that they're not adding a ton a ton this year. Um, but with that, I I did kind of want to jump into, uh, um, kind of some, some just general questions about, uh, you know, the team, some narratives, I should say of, you know, one of, one of the big things that you hear a lot on Michigan. I know, uh, both of us are kind of high on Michigan and I I don't want to get to the predictions quite yet, but a lot of people say, you know, Michigan went 16, 16, they have pretty much all the same guys back. Um, you know, they didn't play that well at the beginning of the year, even when they had Lavert and Walton. How can you justify putting them at the top of the Big Ten? And what would be your response to
0: that one? <laughs> uh, experience. That that would be that would be probably my biggest justification. Look, I mean, there are teams that obviously go through bumps. You talked about Purdue having a couple of bad losses. I think Nebraska lost, to. I don't remember who they lost to. They lost to some awful team last year at home, and they had one of the best. And they, in the last couple of seasons, they've had a great uh, home record. So, look, teams are going to lose. Really good teams are going to lose to bad teams. It happens. But I think that the biggest thing is, and we've talked we've talked about this ad nauseum about this depth, but this depth really is going to be a crucial factor because when guys aren't playing well, instead of being like, man, we don't have anywhere to turn to, we can't look down. You know, last year they looked down the bench, and in came Sean Lonergan, in came Andrew Dawkins. That will not happen this year. That can't happen this year. There's too many good and talented players. So if Cam Chapman's not having a good game, or if, or if Dawkins is one for seven on threes, you pull more. You have enough talent. You have enough size. You have enough shooting that that's not going to be an issue. And, look, I think last year's team, I mean, Michigan lost to – when they lost to NJIT, LaVert had crazy numbers. They had had 32 points. But Michigan isn't going to win 20, 22, 24 games if LaVert is scoring 30 points a game. That means there's too many other guys on the court that aren't being engaged enough. That means that the big men aren't getting enough touches. That means Walton and Urban aren't getting their touches. So I think the biggest thing is going to be spreading the wealth, making sure that everyone gets their touches, and that if guys aren't playing well, that Beeline is confident that there's another guy behind that player on the bench that he can just easily plug in.
1: And I had, uh, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, and, and spinning off of that, I had one more you know, hashtag narrative question here. Uh, For Um, You know, a lot of people say, you know, okay, Beeline had a lot of success. You know, he had that Final Four run. They won the Big Ten title a couple years. But really that had a lot more to do with him bringing in elite prospects, you know, having a couple, you know, guys like Burke, Trey Burke, you know, bust out. Um, But this team on paper isn't as talented as those teams. Uh, First off, do you agree with that? And how much of a factor is that in reality uh, for the Wolverines this season?
0: Um, well, to your first point, I think Trey, Trey Burke was a two-star or three-star recruit. I don't remember exactly.
1: Uh, he was um, like a three/slash four-star, depending on what site okay. you went on. Sure. So
0: it wasn't like Trey Burke was one of the best 15 or 20 players in the country that B-Line was bringing in. Um, I think the thing that uh, that Michigan, you know, Michigan fans and Michigan people will argue is that B-Line brings in guys for his system. I mean, we were talking about Cam Chapman earlier, who was the 38th best player coming out of coming out of high school, and he just wasn't that good. And he was a good beeline system player, but it didn't work. And Aubrey Dawkins and Marr, who weren't really very highly rated, were late signees, came in and it clicked. And so I think that being a criticism of beeline is not really a fair criticism because he takes talent and, you know, coming you know, coming out of high school Nick Stouchis was supposed to be a four year player who, you know, would be a shooter in his first year and maybe do a little more the next couple of years and then have a pretty good senior year. Nobody thought that just was going to be a two year guy that went on to the NBA. So you can take talent, but you have to make something with that talent anyway. Um so no, um I don't know. I, I, I think I think Michigan has a a really nice luxury because they made the Final Four, because they're much more on the national radar than they were five or ten years ago. Um, I I think it's becoming a more attractive place for recruits to want to play.
1: Yeah, I I think the most telling thing for me, you know, I am a believer, you know, recruiting rankings matter, landing top prospects matters. I'm not going to sit here and say it doesn't matter because it clearly does. I mean, you know, we've seen, you know, almost all the best, Freshmen last year were all four and five star recruits. I mean, yeah. it's it's not shocking. Look at the All Big Ten freshman team last year; it was pretty much all five star recruits. Um, but that doesn't mean it always is true, and that doesn't mean it it necessarily you have to hold the team prisoner, you know, to that. You know, I, I think it's more about being in a range than it is about being you know a spot higher on the recruiting rankings than, you know, this team or that team. And and a good example is that of that is, you know, as you were talking about, Cameron Chapman, teams were fighting, you know, Arizona wanted him, Oregon yeah. wanted him. You know, they he was highly highly touted. Um, you know, maybe there were some fit issues. I don't agree with that. I think it was more about the role he was going to come in. I don't think he was physically ready for that role, but Aubrey Dawkins, you know, his dad coaches at Stanford. His dad could have easily had him if he wanted
0: to. He didn't want him. He have, yeah,
1: I mean, I I don't know if there was, you know, I don't know if there was a dynamic, you know, where I don't want to play for my dad in college or, you know, something like that. I don't know, but he could have easily gotten Aubrey Dawkins to go there, and he did it. Aubrey Definitely Dawkins. Definitely regret was, that now. Yeah, Aubrey Dawkins would have played very well for Stanford last year, and yeah. he was better than Chapman. No recruiting. Re- Scouting service had Dawkins rated above Chapman last year. Dawkins was better yeah. than Chapman. You know, maybe that'll change this year. But you know, so I I don't think it's as much about. I think it's you know once the guys get in a year or two, the recruiting rankings really don't matter. It's about what you've done, and I think there are a lot of guys on here who have proven and they still have a lot of upside left. Um, and then uh, yeah, I guess I guess one more brief question here uh, for the narratives, the storylines, whatever. Um. Michigan's front court, uh, on paper, clearly the weakest part of the team. Um, first off, do you, do you agree that it's the weakest part of the team, and how does Michigan,
0: quote unquote, fix it? Oh, without without question, it's the weakest part of the team. I mean, we went through, and you know, like like we were saying, I mean, Doyle is penciled in. I wrote that he's penciled in as the day one starter, but that by no means means that Ricky Doyle is going to be playing and starting for thirty two games in a row unless he's playing up to standard. I mean d line has probably made that clear. I mean we know that's the truth. Definitely definitely the weakest part. Um I don't really know how you address that. I think you just have to hope that, that guys in the off season um got better, you know? And and maybe and and maybe Donald is better uh maybe DJ Wilson is better, but and maybe Moritz Wagner plays there too. I mean look, you have two guys coming in and and two guys that were there last year. So it's it's really hard it's hard to say. Um, you know, you you'd hope that Doyle can take over. He's a little small at six nine, he's probably the one hesitation. Um but I mean, you have what you have, and I think it's going to be a uh, trial and error for uh, for Michigan's Rockford season.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm in complete agreement. I I think you know, it, it's clearly the weakest part of the team. I mean, it's it doesn't have the elite prospects. It doesn't have the proven options, and really there aren't even the depth options aren't as proven. So I mean, I don't think there's much debating that it it is the biggest question mark. Um but having said that, uh, you know, you gotta hope. You know, it was a very young group. I mean, you know, we're talking Still about a very young group. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, we're talking about the top three prospects there who are Doyle, Donnell or at least not, you know, what we think are the top three prospects, which are Doyle, Donnell and Wilson. All you know, all three, this will be their second year um yes. with the program. And even Wagner, who you know, both of us, I think, think could play this year, is a true freshman. So I mean, there's still there's still a lot of meat on the bone there, you know, for the Wolverines. And I think you have to hope that a couple of those guys can develop and really just become more efficient. And because with this team, you know, they're not going to be the primary guys offensively. It's just it's just a fact, you know, unless you know suddenly they become in. Turn into Shaq or something, which I doubt is going nah, to happen. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they're not going to be the primary option. So, the thing is, is be efficient when you get the ball score. Don't turn it over and don't foul. And you'll be fine. Michigan will be fine. But um, but with that, you know, I, I think we got most of the narratives about this team out of the way. Um, Moving into the schedule, Michigan has a, I would say, a good but not great non-conference schedule. Um, I've kind of been avoiding talking about the Big Ten schedule. It's kind of the same talking points every time. You know, the Big Ten stack this year, it's pretty predictable who you're going to play. But the non-conference obviously has a lot of variation. Um, They do play Xavier, UConn, North Carolina State, uh, SMU. Uh, What do you see out of the non-conference schedule? Um, Do you think it's a good one based on where this team should be? Uh, And what are your thoughts?
0: Um, well, so if we're going from Northwestern to uh, to the best non-conference schedule in the country, I would say it's definitely closer towards the higher end. Um, I'm, uh, I'm pretty high on it, to be honest. I think Thanks. I think scheduling Xavier uh, in the Gavit game at home is a great early season test. Um, I love the Atlantic tournament. I think it's awesome. You have UConn. Um I think the second game isn't particularly tough, but you could potentially face gonzaga who who you could argue has the best front court in the entire country that could be a potentially awesome championship game in uh in the Bahamas, so that would be great uh and then you turn around and four days later you have to travel to uh to n c state um and they're they're they were a tournament team last year they're a very good team they i mean i've watched Duke, North Carolina, really, really good teams go into uh, NC State and get blown out. So that will not be an easy game at all. Um, And then the SMU game is great, too. I mean, look, SMU beat like really beat Michigan last year. Michigan scored 51 points at home. I mean, that's just like you can't do that. So I I think Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, the one, the only issue with SMU is I don't think Larry Brown will be available for that game, um, uh, so I think that game loses a little bit of luster, but I mean SMU is definitely on the up and up. It's a, it's a long uh, flight to Dallas, uh, and I think it'll be a really good test. I I don't know how good SMU is going to be, especially like I said without Larry Brown, uh, at least for the beginning of the season. But but no, I think and then I and then I think they did a good job at scheduling. You know some of the games that you'd hope. You know, we call them gimme games, but as we saw last year, no game for Michigan should be considered a gimme game. So uh no, but I but I do like the I do like the non conference schedule a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean maybe I maybe I phrased it a little too a little too harshly there. Um there are tough games. There are challenging games. I think uh one of one of the things I don't I don't necessarily always like to see is it seems like you know, Michigan they have games that are very losable. Um, I I don't think yeah. they have, I don't think they have any guaranteed losses, you know, based on kind of where I expect the team to be. Um, but a lot, they don't necessarily have, like what I like to see is at least a handful of 100 ish, 100 to 200 ish type teams. And I'm talking like RPI, Ken Palm type things just sure. because those boost your resume, but you know, 90% of the time you're going to win anyway. Um, and I know Michigan fans won't like to hear that, based on you know a couple upsets last year, but um, right. but yeah, and and Michigan seems to be built on you know the Atlantis tournament, Xavier, North Carolina State, SMU, which are all challenging games, but none of them are like guaranteed wins, and the rest yeah. is just hot garbage, uh, to be honest. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I hope I I hope I don't regret saying that. Just due to the fact you know last year NJ was. Here. Yeah. And JIT was complete garbage last year and everyone knows what happened there. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a challenging, there's going to be plenty of exciting games. Um, I would have liked to see a little more of the intermediate type of teams, but, uh, Who are are
0: some uh, of the intermediate teams that you wish Michigan had tried to schedule?
1: That is an interesting, that's an interesting, uh, game, you know, like, like, for instance, you know, um, I hate to go back to Purdue, but that's the team I, I had just done before. They, for instance, sure. they schedule Ver, Vermont at home. They're playing Old Dominion, uh, Lehigh, which are all right mm. around the 100 mark.
0: Yeah. Um, they're playing. Yeah, those are good those yeah, quality schedules.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are, those are games. You know, Purdue, which is actually – this is going off Ken Palm numbers, just by the way. Purdue is sure. uh, lower than Michigan on Ken Palm, and they have a 89% chance to beat Lehigh but that is going to be a boost resume wise because Lehigh should be right. good enough, you know, to get you something. But, but I mean, I, I don't want to grant too much about scheduling. Um, I have very strong opinions about it, but, uh, um, but yeah, overall, definitely not a Northwestern type of schedule where no, there are no, no, interest no. In. so um, Michigan fans will have plenty to watch uh, in the first couple of months, but, but moving on off of that to the, everyone's favorite part, uh, season predictions uh, for Michigan. Uh, what do you see out of the Wolverines? Where do you see them in the in the Big Ten? And most importantly, uh, do they make it back to the NCAA tournament? Uh, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, after sixteen and sixteen last season, I hope to God they make it back to the NCAA tournament because cause watching some <laughs> of those games down the stretch was pretty awful, man. Um, I think I think Michigan. Is, I mean, look, we've talked about a couple, two or three key guys. You know, what you're, you know what you're getting from LeBert. You know what you're getting from Walton and Urban, and hopefully from Dawkins. But there are two or three guys in the shuffle right now that if they go from unknown to pretty good, I don't think any one of those guys has to be particularly great. But you need a really solid 15 or 20 minutes from them. They can come off the bench and be super, super solid in their role. <laughs> I mean, I think Michigan has a chance to potentially be 13-5 and five or 14-4 and four in the Big Ten. Maybe you're looking at a four-seed or a five-seed. I mean, I look, you and and I are both Michigan guys, so there's a little bit of homerism going on. But we both really like this team. There's a ton of depth. There's a ton of shooting. um, And everyone is back except for Wagner. So I think a lot of the time with the freshmen, there's a huge learning curve. Um, We did Nebraska a week ago, and they're going to have to play two or three freshmen, potentially, in the starting lineup. And there's going to be a huge learning curve for that. For Michigan, that's not going to be the case. Everyone has played both – Non-conference games and Big Ten games, and they know their role. And you have a fully healthy Levert and a fully healthy Derek Walton. I mean, I could see maybe third, second, or third in the Big Ten, depending on how good Maryland is. Um, I know people love Maryland, and people think Maryland could go like sixteen and two in the Big Ten. I, I mean, I don't know, but um, but no, I, I think I think Michigan has a shot. Yeah, I think around a three or four seed in the NCAA tournament if uh, if they win most of the games that they're supposed to.
1: Yeah. I, I think we're on relatively similar wavelengths. Um, again, you know, as you said, you know, maybe there's some inherent bias there. Uh, I'm hoping not, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, th- this is the team, you know, and, and just to kind of, I know this is, is going to go a little bit, but just to kind of illustrate why I believe in Michigan is sure. down the stretch last year. And I know it's, I know it's not always a perfect, you know, method to look at how a team played late because you're talking about a handful of games versus a whole season, but Michigan played definitely NIT level basketball late in the year. You know, they beat Ohio state. Oh yeah. They they're competitive against Maryland. They lose a shocker to Northwestern. They had no business losing
0: um, on on the road. road too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They destroy Rutgers. They destroy Illinois. They nearly beat Wisconsin who goes on to the national championship game. Um, and and really, they were competitive in most of their games late in the year. They just didn't have enough to quite get over the edge. Um, I mean, and it's I kind of actually, crazy
0: to think about, by the way, that they were made. They were three or four bounces of the ball one way or the other from actually being right on the bubble for the NCAA tournament, which is crazy to think about. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, even if you go back to they were in overtime against Michigan State, they were in overtime against Illinois, they were in overtime yeah. against Wisconsin. That That's three games, and if you include the that's Northwestern it. game. Those are four games in overtime where the, you know, four extra
0: baskets and those are right. huge wins. So you're there. So you go from 16 and 16 to 20 and 12 and you're a tournament team like that. Mm-hmm.
1: And obviously, you know, this is the optimistic approach. There are games you could of do course. the other way, but, but sure. we're talking about, this is the team without Levert, without Walton who are playing in all of these games, except for that Wisconsin mm-hmm. game. Cause Walton did play in that one, but you're adding – I think I counted it up. There are five players who are, like, added added to this team that weren't playing late last year. So you're taking a team that was already trending up, that was 334th in experience, uh, according to Ken Palm last year. You're adding wow. five players, including second All-Big Ten – a former second All-Big Ten player in Karis Silvert, All-Big Ten freshman player in Derek Walton, um, you know, transfer in Duncan Robinson. You're adding all of this to that team. That was already trending up. And and one of the things that I think illustrates this is, uh, you know, I, I like to use advanced stats. I'm an advanced stats guy. But points per possession, um, starting in conference play, Michigan, like if you mapped it against uh, what a team typically allows, like say they allow one point per possession on average, which is the complete average, I believe. Um, Michigan would score under that. By the end of the year, they were significantly over it. Just to kind of illustrate my point about how the team was trending up. So you're adding all of this to that team. Where after all of this rambling, where do I where do I get with that? I think you get to a much better team, a team that can pull out those close games. They can take care of business in the games that they should. You know, they'll beat a Northwestern. They'll beat an Illinois. They'll beat those types of teams. I don't think this is a championship level team unless somebody like uh a DJ Wilson as we were talking about kind of explodes onto the scene. But this is a should be a much better team than last year. And really a team I, I have them uh fourth in the Big Ten, which uh may sound high, may sound low depending on who you are. Um but uh I think it's gonna be a very good team. I think they're gonna make the NCAA tournament, probably make some noise. I don't know if they have the front court to kind of reach that next level, but, but I think it should be a good team. Um, well, yeah, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's about it though on, on Michigan. Um, Josh, uh, any final thoughts here on Michigan, the big 10, uh, college
0: basketball in general? Um, next Friday night, man, seven o'clock at the first <laughs> exhibition. We'll, uh, we got a chance to see really how good Michigan is. And uh hopefully we can uh get back on a podcast and uh and reevaluate in a couple weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely excited to uh to keep the podcast game going and and actually see some you know, real life basketball. Iowa played last night. Um didn't get to see much of it, but uh it's exciting to just know it's occurring. Um yeah. but yeah, Josh, thanks for joining us, uh and we look forward to having you on again.
0: All right, thanks, Thomas, I appreciate it.
1: Thanks. Uh, again, that was uh, Joshua Stern. He writes for us at BT Powerhouse. Uh, he primarily covers Michigan for us. So a lot of uh, Wolverines coverage from him. But but overall, I, I'd say the general points here, Michigan should be a better team. Um, I know there's some hesitation based on last year's results to put them too high, but I think this is going to be a team that's definitely nationally relevant, should be in the top 25 Rankings. Um, I have them fourth in the Big Ten. I could see them getting up to second if things go very well. I could see them finishing right around the bubble range if if things don't go that well. But but I have them fourth, and it, it should be ex- an exciting season in Ann Arbor. But again, I'm Thomas Bendit. You can check me out on Twitter at t Bendit t b e i n d i t. And uh, thanks again for joining us. And definitely continue to check out BT Powerhouse. We have a lot of preseason coverage. On there, I just uploaded our Purdue preview earlier today, so definitely check it out. uh, Check that out and uh, continue listening to us on the podcast. We'll we'll see you next time.